you can't just get into privacy by putting in half an hour a day. You have to really want to make the change. I heard an interesting quote just last week, and it's saying, use your evenings and weekends to change the life you have, not to escape the life you have. Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZN Privacy Experts the podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila, and I am the host of the podcast. With me today as my co-host is Jamal Ahmed, Fellow of Information Privacy and CEO at KZN Privacy Experts. Jamal is an astute and influential privacy consultant, strategist, board advisor, and fellow of information privacy. He's a charismatic leader, progressive thinker, and innovator in the privacy sector who directs complex global privacy programs. He's a sought-after commentator contributing to the BBC, ITV News, Euronews, Talk Radio, The Independent, and The Guardian, amongst others. Hi, Jamal. Jamila, how's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I just wanted to say congratulations on your engagement. Oh, thank you. <laughs> very happy for you. And, uh, thank you very much. And thank you for the wedding invitation. I'm so excited. You're welcome. I was going to say, if anyone's listening and they've not been invited, well, it's your own fault. I haven't been invited, Jamila. <laughs> and I'm all for a wedding in Cardiff. It's um, going to be in London. Okay, I might and, be and busy. Everyone who's listening, whose hearts have been broken, well, guys, we didn't take the opportunity. You had well. the chance. You're right, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that. See, now I'm all flustered. I can't continue. Right. So our guest today, we're delighted to welcome Tahir Latif, who's an experienced senior leader and advisor currently directing a global team of data privacy experts, engineers and delivery specialists with deep experience maturing data governance and information security practices to identify and achieve regulatory compliance goals in banking, insurance, education, health sciences, Industry 4.0, telco, manufacturing, energy, aerospace, and aerospace industry verticals. Hi, Tahir. How are you? Hi, Jamila. Hi, Jamal. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us. I realized that whole bio, I didn't put a full stop in. So I hope I managed to do that in one breath. Okay. As we always do on the Privacy Pros Academy podcast, we start with an icebreaker question. And this one came to me while I was in the Natural History Museum. Which dinosaur do you think would taste best in a burger? I have very limited experience of dinosaurs. <laughs> Everyone's favourite uh, after Jurassic Park. It's got to be the yeah. T-Rex burger. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I was thinking if it was like a chicken burger, then something like a pterodactyl because it flies. So like pterodactyl wings, I think would be nice. Yeah, that'd be a big wing. In, in, interesting. Um, I, I'm not even sure how many of those I could actually eat on my halal diet, but um, you can do the research and find out. I was wondering this, if they're vegetarian, would they technically be halal? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) 
No. All right. So no dinosaur burgers for me. Let's move on to the privacy questions. Tahe, tell us more about your life as a privacy consultant. What does it involve and how is it different from if you were just employed as a DPO, for example, for one organization? This is uh, coming into my 13th year as a yeah. privacy professional now, which the first seven were in consultancy and then the last two were in consultancy. So I had a, approximately five years in between where I was working on what we call client side. It's uh, exciting being a consultant and because every every day you have new challenges and new clients, right? So, you know, we have requirements from existing clients who want to improve either their privacy posture or their program, mm -hmm. or we'll have new requirements coming in. When you were reading at my bio earlier about all those sectors, one of the benefits of um, working in a consultancy is really cross-sectoral engagement, knowledge, and to become a SME within those sectors, right? And that's something that if you were, for example, as a, as a DPO for a bank, you wouldn't have knowledge of the travel and tourism industry. You wouldn't have knowledge about manufacturing. You won't have knowledge about the latest innovations in uh, AI coding and uh, algorithms. Mm -hmm. So the challenges for us are that every day we, as privacy professionals, have to apply our knowledge to new scenarios, right? And those challenges can sometimes be greenfield regulations such as the Middle East, Right. But for a different sector, it would be governmental, semi-governmental and the type of data that they need to uh, protect and process. Or it could be an existing client or a new client in a very mature jurisdiction, but they're doing something really innovative, such as federated data platforms, data vaults, data sharing that require, you know, a lot of innovation and application of the regulations in order to make, make that client compliant but also to be able to proceed uh, with their business. That's a great insight into the life of a typical consultant, uh, Tahir. And I know you've been doing this for such a long time. And the thing I love most about consultancy and why it's important that we aspire to become consultants is when you are a consultant, you have to be on top of your game. You can't stay stagnant. You have to know about the latest developments. And the other benefit to your clients is you actually get to learn different things from different sectors. And you can try those things in other sectors where you think this could actually work. But if you're just stuck in one sector, you kind of become a little bit blindsided or you have a tunnel vision, you only see things one way. And the beauty mm -hmm. of working as a consultant is you have all of this cross-industry experience. You have experience of working with clients from different countries at different stages of the program. And through all of that, it makes you a much more valuable and much more holistic privacy pro, which means you can add immense value to any privacy program, regardless of the challenge. And the other great thing about being a privacy consultant is that you actually get to work with in-house teams. And they may already have a DPO. They may already have lots of privacy resources. But they're relying on you to bring a specific expertise that they don't have because they've remained tunnel vision and stagnant. And that's why consultancy pays so much better. And that's why the work is so much more rewarding, so much more fulfilling. And of course, if you are fortunate enough to land yourself a role like Tahir, you get to travel around the world as well. Tahir, tell us more about some of your travels. <laughs> well, you flatter me there, Jamal, tra traveling around the world. At the moment, the Greenfield regulations in, in privacy, there were four regulations a couple of years ago in the Middle East, Qatar, Oman, UAE, and KSA. So I do spend a lot of time in that region. It's, uh, you know, fairly greenfield. The clients are aware now of privacy, but to try and implement that privacy program, which is a program of change, because you don't just go in and implement a few policies and procedures. 
we're fortunate now in Europe with GDPR coming up since 2018. Very mature. Everyone is aware of it. But in that part of the world, just as an example, if you go into a building in one of those countries, they may ask for your passport and they may mm. keep a copy of your passport, which when you're coming from Europe, that's for security reasons. And if you ask the person why they're doing it, they don't know. They've just been told to do it. So when I go in to those environments and someone says, what, what is privacy? I'm able to give very simple example. Okay, you've collected my passport data. I understand that. That's to, that's to know who I am, to give me access to the building. How long will you keep that data for? Once I've left the building and everything's, everything's uh, you know, fine and well, they're like, well, we don't know. I says, right, well, where is it stored? We don't know. Who has access to it? We don't know. So it's starting off with very simple examples and then getting them into the frame of mind of what is privacy, what data needs to be protected, what is personal data, and then the building blocks of a robust and uh, pragmatic privacy program. So that takes me over to the region uh, you know, quite often. I was also fortunate enough recently to go over to uh, Vancouver, where I was speaking on a panel at Vancouver's largest uh, privacy conference there as the global lead for data privacy. We've got clients all over the world. We've got clients from Australia, New Zealand, Japan, India, all the way through the Middle East, Europe, USA, North America, and South America. And my travel is dictated on client requirements. Sounds really glamorous. Oh. <laughs> You'll give me an invite to your private jet one day soon. We can fly together and serve some people. Tahir. What I want to understand is from our engagements when we've met at conferences, when we've had dinners together, and when we've uh, just generally uh, had, mm -hmm. had a little bit of fun, one thing that's stuck out to me and you both is we both have this passion for helping people develop and becoming privacy pros, regardless of whether they have a background in privacy or not. And we're really committed to making sure we do everything we can to help those. I do it through the Privacy Pros Academy. Mm. You do it through your own uh, personal time, and you have mm. uh, lots of mentees mm. who have been doing really, really well. What would you say are the three key qualities that help somebody make that jump and be really successful? Well, firstly, they have to be driven. If they if they want to make a career change, they have to they they have to have it within themselves in order to put in the the time to read through a lot of uh, new material, pass the relevant examinations, which are very important, right? The inter, the uh, you know the IAPP examinations, which are the global standard for privacy professionals. They need to have uh, patience because you can't absorb and become a privacy pro. Overnight, it is a journey. You know, it's good. You know, just to uh, get through your first examination may well take up to six months. The CIPPE, that's the one you want to take. You know, is is quite intense. And then beyond there is constantly learning, right? Learning how you can apply the the knowledge to to real world situations, right? So it's a it's a journey. You have to be driven. You have to be able to onboard and absorb and understand um, new information. And then you have to be able to translate that inf information into a practical and applicable environment. Surrounding yourself with uh, like-minded individuals is very important. I mean, all of us are, are part of a privacy network globally. You reach out to anyone on LinkedIn and guaranteed they will be connected to you via two other individuals, right? So, you know, there's, there's about uh, approximately 100,000 privacy professionals globally now. 
it's a growing profession and it's one that can, you know, you can still join at any stage of your career. You can change careers. You don't necessarily have to have a law degree. You need to have the passion, take on board the information, you know, learn, be studious and then go out and network and, you know, um, show your passion, show your knowledge. And then hopefully you'll get that, that, that first opportunity. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Super valuable tips there. At the Privacy Pros Academy, we actually help driven individuals either pivot their career into private professionals or to actually take their career from where they are to the next step. And oftentimes we help the senior people to really identify where they're lacking and really fill those gaps so they can become recognized as the go-to people in the industry. And it's really interesting what you said, because there's seven types of people we don't actually work with at the academy. Would you like me to tell you about those seven types? Yeah, sure. Please do. Let me tell you about that. I mean, you can tell me what you think. So the first type. Seven, seven types. There's seven yeah. types of people. You've I done refuse. your uh, data analysis, huh? Yeah, I, I refuse to work with at the Privacy Pro Academy. Refuse, that's a, that's a harsh Either. term. They're complacent. So I don't work with people who are complacent. So if you're content with being average or mediocre and you lack the drive to push yourself to new heights, then our academy is not for you. We work with individuals who are determined to excel in the field of data privacy and make a real impact. What do you think of that, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. You can't just get into privacy by putting in half an hour a day. You have to really want to make the change. I heard an interesting quote just last week, and it's saying, use your evenings and weekends to change the life you have, not to escape the life you have. Because, you know, that's often how we spend our spare time is downtime. But use that time instead to gain new knowledge, right? And if you're not in privacy, to acquire the knowledge and skills and to do the networking to get into, into privacy, those, that knowledge and, uh, and those jobs will just not land on your doorstep. You have to be proactive. I have, you know, everyone wants to strive and do better. And one of the questions I ask is, you know, have you updated your CV? Are, are you actively applying? Oh, no, we thought we'd wait. I says, well, by waiting your, your dream job or your, or your best possibility may have already passed you by. Mm. There's only so many roles, although it's a growing market, there's only so many roles per year, per month in privacy. And each month you delay, that's another role that you've possibly missed out on that may have been perfect for your environment. Right? Jamal, I know one of your mentees is, or quite a few of your mentees are from the NHS. When you try to get into uh, privacy in the NHS, they ask you about your NHS experience. What knowledge do you have within working with a health authority, within any kind of healthcare provider? a trust or something similar, those individuals are ideally placed to bring their NHX experience in whatever they're doing and translating that saying, now we have the privacy knowledge. Now we can put together the pieces of jigsaw and we are well-placed for this position in the NHS. And I know they like to hire internally also, but you can't simply sit back and say, well, they'll reach out to me. They'll find me on LinkedIn. Why? You're one of, one of thousands that are looking for new opportunities. And in terms of learning, I'm still learning. Our, our profession is so dynamic. Every day something new comes out and we talk about being a consultant. We have to be very up-to-date, be very relevant. We, we are looked at, at being thought leaders, providing thought leadership. I mean, so simply saying, I'm, I wasn't aware of that. I don't know about that. So continue your learning journey, even when you get into the career carry on learning and continue certifications. I'm, I'm still getting certified on um, other IAPP, uh, you know, examinations. I guess you have to be really self-motivated to be a consultant. I'm just thinking of 
the transition when I started my PhD from being in employment and being a doing a PhD you just have to do everything yourself and being a consultant I guess is the same way because if you don't do it it's not like you've got someone else to pick up the slack or you haven't got someone who's always going to be there going oh where's this why haven't you done this why you have to be that for yourself I think that mindset shift can be very difficult yeah going from working on client side to working for consultancy it is it's it's a challenge nevertheless it's a an exciting challenge yes you 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 no longer have the support of your wider internal team. You will yeah. be part of a team and that team will be there to support you. But if you have, you know, a statement of work for which you have to deliver on and you have set milestones and criteria, there will be someone looking over you, Jamila, but they'll be saying, where is this work? This yeah. was the deadline date. When can we expect it? Has it met the uh, quality criteria? Is it mm -hmm. fit for purpose? Has the client signed it off yet? And all of that is for you to plan accordingly. What You'll have the mm -hmm. statement of work, you'll have your milestones, and you have to deliver on those milestones. Of course, depending on who you work for and the size of the consultancy, you could be in a project by yourself or you could be in a project with uh, 20 of your colleagues. Mm. But your defined deliverables are up to you. And those timelines are very rarely pushed back. Where you work internally, it could be, well, you know, we'd, we'd uh, factored completion by the end of March. But we've come across some problems. Uh, we've talked about it internally. Now we'll push it back to July. That very rarely happens in a consulting project, unless it's at the request of the client. Yeah, when, when, when you take on a piece of work, you ask the client to trust you. And they say, yes, I'm happy to bring you on. I need this done by this date. And it's up to you to go make it happen. Yeah. Right? I think the reason why it's so fun and exciting and energetic mm -hmm. is because you're always challenged. And that yeah. holds back to Taha's first point, that you have to be driven. Like it's, it's not for people who want to be mediocre and who want to be complacent. And that's why we don't work with people who actually are complacent. Now, uh, the second type of person we don't work with is those who are non-committed. So our, our academy is not for those who are just looking to pass an exam and look smart. We're actually looking for individuals who are willing to invest their time, invest their energy, and invest their effort into becoming true experts in data privacy. Why is that important? It follows on naturally from a complacency, right? You complacency is not knowing and sort of not willing to, to put in the time and effort. Commitment is what will get you through to your to your goal, right? You've you've started the journey. Now you have to commit. Now you've as part of your sort of academy and, and also my mentees. If I don't see ongoing commitment, I know they are not going to make that transition from one career into privacy, not following up on our, you know, sort of weekly catch-up calls that most of my mentees have a 30-minute call with me every week. They miss one. It becomes a, a habit. Oh, there's something's cropped up. And then you think, well, you know, we all have lives outside of work and we all, and we all make choices. And that choice could be to watch a Netflix box set at the weekend which we all deserve and we all do. <laughs> Jamila's smiling. Or it could be, well, this weekend, I'm going to put six hours in to learning about international data transfers, right? What are the regulations? What, what are the updates? What is the EDPB guidance? And are there any questions on this on the IAPP exams? Or anything else that even if, if, you, if you're already in your career, how to stay on top of your career and top of your knowledge. And that requires ongoing commitment, right? Everything I do is about privacy and learning more, right? Because the learning journey does not stop. 
you can't say I'm I'm now CIPPE. I'm qualified. I'm about to start a job. Great. Right. Yes, you may do that, but as you mentioned, your learning and your mindset will become stagnant. You'll know what you know, but you will not know about everything everything else that's happening in the world of privacy and all of the challenges that are now you know uh, that we're now facing as yeah. privacy professionals. Yeah, and the other reason why I don't work with the non-committed is because I get lots of questions on LinkedIn a lot of the time from people asking questions for clarification. Mm. And some of these people have lots of alphabet soup after their name, right? Yeah. Uh, they've got CP, CP, FIP, whatever it is. And they say they've done training with other people and they still don't get the basics. Like they're asking mm. me basic questions around the territorial scope of the GDPR. I can see they've got the letters FIP after their name and they've said they've trained with somebody else. And I just found that, like, how can that be possible? So the reason we don't work with non-committee people who just want to pass an exam is because I never want anyone who's trained with us to embarrass the academy by asking such basic questions when they've been through our training program and when they've been certified. So we make sure we only work with people who actually want to become true experts in data privacy. So they get a real clarity and real understanding and they're confident in their knowledge and they're not going and embarrassing themselves and the people they've trained with on LinkedIn by asking such basic questions even though their certifications and their credentials say something else, because I think that's doing a disservice to everyone. So imagine I knew nothing about privacy. I'm an employer and I've just employed somebody. And what I understand from doing my research with HR is they say, this is the certification. This is the go-to certification. Anyone that has that knows their stuff. I hired them in. We go, we're about to do a deal and they don't understand what they're doing. They make it wrong. So now I'm thinking, hang on, this CP certification, it doesn't mean anything. Because I've hired this person who has this, and they clearly know nothing. So it does a disservice to everyone else in the industry, the people who are working hard, the people who are putting their time in, the people who are committed, the people who are driven. When you get those people who just want to pass an exam, they make everyone else that has that certification look bad. So we want to stay away from working with people like that because we're dedicated to making sure that we're actually elevating the industry rather than bringing it down. It's, it's good that you're deciding who to... Uh, work with at the academy because that th that same cohort will have this the skills the credibility and the right ethics and mindset to go forward and to get a job at a really top employer employers don't just look at your qualifications they look at your applicability and knowledge if you've just passed the exams and you and you say i've never worked in privacy before that's absolutely fine we all need our first opportunity, Jamal, right? But if you try and present yourself as a privacy professional, which unfortunately I do see happening more and more often now, having passed the examinations, but no real knowledge and depth of understanding of what privacy is, and assuming privacy is just a set of controls that, that are, you know, um, uh, tick box. I, I'm not sure how many of your past mentees and graduates, Jamal, have said to you, have you got a tick box I can just go through to ensure that a client or my my employer is GDPR compliant? I mean, like GDPR is risk-based, not necessarily tick box and, and rules and controls based, right? Uh, to answer your question, Daher, about how many of our graduates and mentees have been requesting tick box exercises or templates, the good news is, by the time we go through the program, none of the privacy professionals that we, uh, we, we work with need any templates 
all we all they need is the actual understanding and the clarity of what the requirements are and how to operationalize that into practice. And what we do with that is, you know, heard me talk about this before, is our C5 methodology. And we teach them how to take a step back and go through the principles and use that as their compass, backed up with the, with the, with the C5 methodology. It's on LinkedIn where we get those people who are trying to look smart, who think it's a tech box exercise, saying, hey, have you got a template for this? Can you uh, provide me a checklist for this? Oh, give me a template for that. And the problem is when people try and take a template approach, they're actually doing everyone a disservice because no two companies operate the same way. And there's a really famous case um, in, the, in the US. There was a company who took a privacy notice of another company and they copy and pasted it and they, they, they used it for their own. Now, the thing is, the privacy notice, the original one, was actually a great privacy notice for that company that created it because that's what they did and how they did it with data. The company that copied and pasted it and just made some edits and replaced their name with it, they didn't actually process data in that way. So even though it was a great privacy notice, you can't use templates in this work. And working as consultancies, people think, oh, it's just taking a template, running the same thing over again. No, it's not. We go and we get the clarity. We understand what the business is doing. We understand what they're trying to achieve. We understand how they operate. Different parts of the world have different cultures. They have different expectations. And we bring all of that in and we are provided or we create frameworks and then we deliver within those frameworks. Yeah, that's correct. Again, it depends on your employer, on your sector and your specific role. But simply finding, trying to find the answers through existing templates generally doesn't work you know, in the world of privacy. No two privacy notices are alike. It's your own purpose for collecting that data. Who do you share the data with? Well, you can't possibly share the data with the same, in the same companies, right? You may be very lucky to, to share it with one or two. You may share data with Google, no doubt, right? Or through any other sort of analytics provider, but your your notice will be, you know, particularly to you, similar to your, you know, your your data discovery exercise. How do you know the data you've got? Um, have you been through that? Have you been through your exercise either manually or using, you know, some kind of technology? And then using that to put together your records of processing activity. Yes, your ROPA can very much be a template. Right. You can start off with the base template of what a ROPA should look like, but then you bespoke it for your own organizational needs. Right, Your policies and procedures will all be bespoke to your organization. Your data subject access requests will only be based on the data you hold. Your retention and destruction policy will be based on those business processes that you carry out and the data you hold and the sector you're in and any other applicable regulations uh, that are in place by various government departments or the laws of the land, right? So it's it's not a cut and paste approach. It's really getting to understand the personal data, right? And then building from there. Everything starts off with knowing the data, getting to know the organization, and then that's the building blocks of your a really robust privacy program. Great insights there. Though. Absolutely amazing. So I'm not going to go into the rest of the types of people that we know. <laughs> it's been a value-packed conversation we've had. So just to recap, we started looking at what dinosaurs would make the best burger. Then we took a deeper dive into privacy. You told us what it's like about actually having the life of a privacy consultant, and not just a privacy consultant, but a privacy consultant at the top of the game. You explained it's hard work. You explained it's fine. You explained it's exciting. And then you gave us your top tips on what you need to actually successfully transition 
want to get into privacy and what's really going to help you thrive and some of the qualities that will not help you thrive and that will you probably won't be a great fit until you change your mindset and you adopt those challenges that you spoke about. You also discuss some of the different challenges um, that people will face, especially working across different industries, why that checklist approach isn't actually going to work. Before we wrap up, there's one more question I want to ask you. What areas of privacy do you see growing moving forward into 2023 and beyond? Privacy enhancing technologies. I would say if, if anyone's already a privacy professional, put more time and effort into learning privacy enhancing technologies. As clients move from a static approach to data privacy, i.e. you conduct and carry out your ROPA, and you populate an Excel spreadsheet, and then you say, oh, great, let's review that in six to 12 months' time. And of course, the very next day, two of those line items may already be out of date, right? So, you know, we've got privacy management technologies that can assist you with streamlining and operationalizing your privacy program. A lot of, lot of our clients now are going on that journey to replace a paper-based approach to a tech-based approach to privacy. But privacy-enhancing technologies are about what can we put in place in order to better protect, to better share, and to better use data. So, you know, we know that there's techniques such as anonymization and pseudonymization, but we can really go into that a lot further. Within pseudonymization, we have masking, scrambling, perturbation, right? Within technical controls, we have encryption. Encryption's moved moved forward now to homomorphic encryption, and we're soon going to have quantum encryption because the current encryption controls will be outdated within the next 13 years, approximately the next 13 years when current encryption standards can be cracked. At that stage, you'll need stronger encryption standards, right? Uh, so privacy-enhancing technologies, I go, I go into a lot of panels and discuss these. How can we better get value from data, Jamal? Right? Privacy is all about protecting data, but companies need to fulfill their business goals and objectives. How can they do that while still protecting the rights and freedoms of data subjects, right? So privacy-enhancing technologies really, and, and, and there's way too many to talk about, Perhaps Jamila can do her next PhD in that, right? But there's, there's, there's PhDs on this out there. Every single conference now that you and I will get invited to, Jamal, will have a session on PETS. That's the acronym, right? Um, there's some really exciting technologies out there that will enable us to extract maximum value from the data that organizations hold. So data becomes monetized. It's still compliant. It's still protected but it becomes an asset in a compliant manner and not in a manner that some of the larger tech companies have currently been utilizing. You've heard it there from Taher uh, himself, our high-flying global privacy consultant. The future is all about privacy-enhancing technologies. For those of you who are interested in becoming privacy futurists, you've heard it from the man himself. And if you are wondering what he's talking about when you talk about homomorphic encryption and quantum encryption, uh, perturbing and masking and hiding and abstracting and all of that stuff, then the Certified Information Privacy Technology Program is going to give you all of that education and all of those answers. And for those of you who are interested, get in touch. I'd love to have a chat with you about it. And maybe you can come and join us on one of those programs too. They all sound like not real words. <laughs> Like they're straight from a Marvel film or something. 
<laughs> well, some of the technology is, Jamila. Yeah. Some of the technology is really cutting edge. And, um, you know, it's, but it's highly practical, highly practical. Yeah. And it will allow, you know, perhaps some of the very, most of the smaller companies will not, you know, fully embrace, uh, you know, the, these technologies. But the larger organizations that are international, mm are already embracing these enhancing technologies and they're now able to extract more value from from the data they have. They're, they're able to send data internationally. Now, we know the challenges around that, Jamal, right? Never a week goes by until there's a, there's a new interpretation or a new change to, to data. And, and this is not just within EU, US, but I'm talking about globally, right? There's a lot of data localization and data transfer rules within individual jurisdictions right how can you how can you do business internationally when you can't um, transfer utilize or analyze that data right if you're an international organization this is where these technologies really come into their own there's a number of market leaders out there that will really be able to assist um, you know either it, it depends on the use case it could be utilizing large data sets replacing data with uh, synthetic data and uh, variant twins or any number of other uh, layering technologies. You don't, you don't just choose one technology and think, well, well, we'll go with that. You may have to layer these technologies, really understand the use case of the client and put together a whole tech stack in order for the client to be able to fulfill what they want to achieve. And what we're talking about here, Jamila and Jamal, is we've gone beyond now, you know, policies and procedures, right? Within Europe, these are very mature. Yes, new companies are being formed, but these are no longer the challenges. The challenges now are we understand we have to be compliant. How can we still fulfill our business mission and objectives? This is what we'd like to achieve this year. This is our mission statement. This is our objective. And of course, we want to hit a certain profitability figure. So we need to. Uh, you've both heard of the, the term digital transformation. So we need to transform our business processes. As a result of that, it will involve a lot of data sharing, data warehousing, data lakes, utilizing various uh, cloud infrastructures, uh, and, and, and sending data internationally. That's a really big challenge. And Jamila, you asked me about the, the kind of programs that are very exciting, right? These are the these are the really exciting programs where every day you're learning something, right? You're speaking to a new vendor, and they're telling you about their uh, technology and thinking, I can utilize th that with these four clients. I can utilize that with these five use cases. You're constantly learning, and this is the exciting part of consultancy. You're introduced to new technology on a daily basis, and new new client requirements on a daily basis and then you're trying to marry, uh, match them up and say right what technology is best suited to that use case um i'll give you another example which is the use of artificial intelligence um jamal you may know a little bit about this are you familiar with uh grameen microfinance grameen microfinance yes i am the yes. founder has won a nobel peace prize so yes correct right so that's that's about getting financing to those people that are not within the financial system right small payments essentially on on a promise right but that 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 works in isolation but how can you take that model further well there's you know there's there's a, a number of different organizations now that are utilizing ai biometrics 
and metadata to be able to build up a, a risk profile of someone who is outside of the banking system is able to work with the bank and say, right, based on the data that you've given us, and that data could could come from a, a sentence that you've read out, Jamal. Of course, you've given consent for that. This is all consent-based, right? But taking your voice, and I don't have the in-depth knowledge of the algorithms behind the AI, but based on what you've read out and given consent to, they can give a risk profile. Maybe you, you, know, you sound trustworthy, maybe you don't. I don't know the inner workings of it, but also... They build a bigger picture based on usage of your phone. Again, consent-based, based off usage of your smartphone and the apps you use. If you're spending a lot of time reading about um, you know, the financial markets, it may imply that you're financially savvy. So would a traditional bank outside of the micropayment system be able to evaluate you without that data? No, because you, you have no uh, credit report. So all of these new technologies are at the cutting edge. They're disruptive and they're exciting. That's what puts a smile on my face, Jamila. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 this is it. Like when you get to the consultancy level and when you can actually prove yourself in your field, you don't have to go and deal with, you know, writing basic policies and processes and going through the, those uh, ICO accountability framework and doing mm-hmm. that analysis. But you actually get to work on the leading edge, the cutting edge of technology of what's possible. And you're working with companies who have some innovative ideas, some great ideas of how we can overcome challenges that exist that there is no other way of solving. Yep. And then saying, how can we do that ethically? How can we do that compliantly? How can we do that in a way that's actually fair, both to the business and also to the individuals themselves as well? And that is absolutely fascinating. And that's what gets us out of bed in the morning because we know we can go out and we can make a real difference. And that is why we need more privacy professionals. We need more committed, driven, dedicated professionals coming up, stepping up to the industry so we can take and create a better world for everyone, knowing that everyone has freedom over the personal information wherever they are in the world. That's everything we have yep. time for today, folks. Tahe, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for giving up your time to come and share those gems. I'd love to get you on another one soon so we can continue uh, some of this conversation and really focus on some of those challenges that you're helping businesses solve with those exciting and innovative technologies. Until next time, guys, peace be with you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class Privacy Pro. Please leave us a four or five star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.